0: Welcome to episode 57 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. It is a dark and cold night in Liverpool tonight, so perfect conditions to be entering into the Night Gallery. Tonight's story is the painted mirror, however, which is slightly lighter in tone, possibly, than these uh, chilly conditions would suggest. It is the second story from episode 13 of season 2. It's written and directed by Gene Kearney and based on a short story by Donald Wandry. We all of us have a kind of fascination for mirrors. There's a most appealing mystery to what is on the other side of the looking glass. And occasionally we turn into Alice. Our last selection in tonight's gallery a very special looking glass, and it's called The Painted Mirror. Our story is a start of a man called Frank Standish, who's played by Arthur O'Connell. His shop, an antique shop, is a place that has seen far better days. And it's certainly not helped by a person he has gone into business with. And Miss Moore, played wonderfully by Jar Jar Gabor. Miss Moore... He's gone into business basically obviously for the location, and is trying to pu- to push Frank out. Her idea of how to sell is very different to our aging antique seller. Um, Frank likes to sit in the back, work on buffeting and we're making his the antiques good for for sale, whereas Miss Moore is far more brash. She has loud music playing. She's painting things pink and blue and girly and trying to sell clothes to her customers. Um, We see her setting up a thing that makes a noise when people walk in, much to the irritation of Frank. There is a cat that appears to dislike him and a dog which seems to think that barking is the best way to communicate. And not only that she has an LP player constantly churning out really loud and quite obnoxious music. It is all a bit cheesy and nasty and really grating for our man Frank. But Frank is unfortunate in the sense that he needs money. His business is, it is alluded to is an area that no longer needs his services and he has not changed with the times around him. So, his friend, Frank's friend Ellen, who's played by Rosemary DeCamp, arrives. And she has something unusual with her. It's a mirror. It's a painted mirror that, well, painted not in the sense that you would normally expect with a design on the the frame or in the corners of the mirror to give give something a bit unusual while you stare at yourself in it. Instead, this has been painted completely over in thick grey paint, and Frank basically decides, well, because he likes Ellen as a friend and possibly as a little bit more, he decides that he wants to take it, but hasn't got the money to buy it. Miss Moore, in a brash and rather selfish way, takes the buys the mirror. But only for a dollar. I to be again, Mrs. Moore. Lend me ten. Ten dollars? Did Mrs. Chase bring something worth ten dollars? <laughs> We are not referring to this a delightful frame and an excellent mirror beneath that paint no doubt i have collectors people who love beauty one phone call maybe 10 years ago but not now not at this part of town a dollar for your cart a dollar fifty a dollar we need the space she takes the money begrudgingly really in truth but still takes the cash and Frank gets to work on trying to clean the mirror up for sale his opinion is that it's a decent piece and something he thinks he could get a couple of quid for and there is something unusual about it though he tries to scrub away some of the paint with turps and it won't come off and then he gets at it with a chisel and really chisels at it and when he gets a little bit away, there's a beam of light that emanates from it. We cut to the next day, and still these, these noisy torments haunt Frank the noise of the door, and people walking in and out, and the radio, and the dog yapping incessantly, constantly driving at him. And things have got interesting, though. When Ellen comes back the next day to see how the work's getting on, He reveals something very unusual. The mirror isn't a normal mirror at all. It does not reflect light. Instead, it is a doorway. A doorway to a world which is very alien. There are unusual vegetation. Noises they don't understand. Miss Moore's cat runs in and then scarpers out very, very quickly, terrified at something that she did see. Miss Moore decides to make... Possibly a rather expected move. She goes in and lays it down that in actual fact, she's going to buy out Frank's side of the business. And Frank is, from a bad situation, indeed becomes a lot worse. What have you done to Lorenzo? And what is this, may I ask? I don't know. You don't know? Well, the frame I think I can utilize, but I can live without the picture. I'm exercising my option. I bought you out. I'll have to put you up in a hotel for a couple of months until you find a new job. It appears I'm not the businessman I imagined myself to be. We get some bright lights up there. I knock this wall out. Fix up the whole room. Frank, I like this room. Oh, I'll find a place. Suitable employment, though. Will take a little doing at my age. Ellen has an idea. Gives a little look to our man, Frank. Grabs one of the dogs rubber balls and then throws it. ...through the mirror into the other world. The dog sprints after him. Miss Moore discovers what's happened... ...and chases after the dog into the other world. And then we discover exactly what it is. This is a doorway... ...back in time... ...to a world of dinosaurs. A lost world, almost. There are uh, various different monsters there. You know, but... ...Jurassic monsters, in truth... And these monsters, um, we discover, while she's trying to find the dog, are more than interested in a tasty morsel of Miss Moore. She runs, tries to escape, by, by which time Frank and Ellen have unsurprisingly decided to close the doorway with a jar of paint. And Miss Moore is left inside, trapped to her fate. Okay, that's it. That's our story. Um. This is a short story. It's um, not only 13 minutes, 40 seconds long. And um, it's a comedy. Not really that you guessed that from my description, I think. I've not really injected much of the humour from that story. But um, I think the reason for that is because it's really rather silly rather than, you know, with lots of jokes thrown in. Also, I think the possibly the reason for that is because... Uh, it's more about Jar Jar Gabor's acting the garishness of the room the horribleness of the situation it's a black comedy more than something that possibly is something that I can easily explain through the jokes and I think that probably works more to the story's credit than most times with Night Galley which tries a rather ham fisted gag particularly with the shorter stories some of the stuff that um, you know the Jack Laird jokes that we keep on going back to these one or two minute pieces they um this benefits from just having a general tone of of lightness it makes an unusual fit though with the messiah and mott street which is obviously so heartfelt this is a complete shift in tone and uh, it's slightly although obviously that's the way night gallery is designed to be i think possibly is a little bit not quite as good as it could have been for the entire episode because of that this might have been better either something with that was incredibly dark to start with and then this lightness to kind of lighten the mood before the episodes end, rather than something which is so, you know, for, about, you know, that feeling and that, that emotion, and, you know, which is a very light Christmas story, in truth. Um, I think also part of the reason why the uh, the story isn't, you know, from my description of it, isn't very funny. Apart from the fact that I'm not, that I'm obviously I'm not the biggest comedian in the world, is because it's uh, Donald Wandrell's, Wandry, uh, sorry, Donald Wandry's um, original story wasn't a light comedy. It was uh, a little bit bleaker, a little bit darker. Gene Kearney lights in that mood. The story originally was um, well it was published a long time ago now it was published back in 1937 in a Squire magazine Um, and that was you know a little bit bleaker in its telling and um, I think you know I think that actually shows in the core of the story which is you know about a man committing murder uh, driven to extremes in truth by the actions of a woman's beastly behaviour to Take over his business. I think that's there is that kind of idea at heart of it still. Um. Well, the other side of it is that, um, well, it is Zsuzsanna um, Gabor really is the person that makes this story uh, work as a comedy. She's brilliant in it. She's uh, extreme, and big, and loud and beastly um she's really like um she's really perfect for the role because she she can turn all these kind of these these kind of horrible horrible activities and and, and, and terrible behavior and sugarcoat it in this kind of garish pinkness, and uh, you know you could imagine a as a woman who would have a dog and a cat and be really beastly and desperately trying to push out this old man, and uh, think nothing of it really. She has that kind of, She's very capable of conveying that kind of tone. Um, and you know, apparently Gabor enjoyed it because it gave her that opportunity. It gave it the opportunity to not just be a pretty girl but to be a bit of a beast with it as well. Um, there's a very funny quote in the, uh, after I was told, the, the uh, Jim Benson, uh, Scott Skelton book, which she says, "It scared me to death. We were very much ahead of the trend. As you can see, Jurassic Park now, with all the prehistoric animals. It's funny that Steven Spielberg didn't direct. And I think um, she possibly is saying that with a little bit of tongue in cheek. Because what I haven't mentioned is how absolutely diabolical the special effects are in this story. Um, We have one... Well, some of them are obviously, you know, model work in like a highly handsome kind of way. I, I mentioned The Lost World. And when I'm talking about The Lost World, I'm not talking about the Jurassic Park sequel. I'm talking about, you know, the the old 1950s film that kind of idea you know cheap uh model work for b movies it has that feel um probably for two reasons one because it adds to the silliness of the piece but also they didn't have a lot of money uh, there is but i i do think that possibly the the obvious lizard with a headdress on That is one of the reptiles in this story, must have been deliberate to kind of lighten the mode of how silly it all was. You know, playing with those kinds of, uh, that kind of joke um, that, you know, these monsters, and obviously it does help lighten the tone. um, But you can't get past the fact that the effect work is absolutely. I mean, even for 1971, it really echoes. The B movies of the fifties and sixties, you know, the um, any any kind of those those monster those 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 kind of monster flicks, it, it is an echo to them, um, and that's just the nature of it, unfortunately. But still, a fun little closer to uh, just before Christmas, as it was back then, and uh, you know, it's difficult to be too down on something, which is obviously just trying to have quite a bit of fun. And does have the charm to take you along with you for the ride. How is it possible, How does a real mirror work? I never could understand that either. Okay. Uh, very quickly, you want to get hold of it, you can do. Uh, go to our website. It's the easiest way, www.twilightzonenetwork.com. There's links to our Facebook and our Twitter. You can email me, chris at twilightzonenetwork.com. Um, there is some uh, great new articles up there. Some great art that I just spotted before that went up a couple of days ago. Uh, JD Sieber, who is uh, who's an artist who's obviously influenced by Twilight Zone, has been very kind enough to uh, to to let us share some of his art with you. Um, some sketch work, some art cards, which are so very beautiful and um, for fans of the show, definitely worth a look. Um, if you've anything you want to contribute, we're always pleased to host that for you. If you if you've got your own, we we do we sit we part of the reason why the Twilight Zone Network is where we direct people to, as well as the podcast is. We do have news stories, we have lots of artwork, links. Um, uh, there is a directory of websites that we we like to show you know send people to to uh, a different other Twilight Zone uh, and Night like, Gallery. Uh, fan sites, uh, really just to, you know, kind of broaden people and, you know, celebrate Rod Serling's work. Um, so if you want to get in touch, um, the easiest way is uh, going to admin, email admin at the com If you want to talk to me personally, you can do it on my private Twitter feed, it's at orange underscore monkey. Or uh, more, we'll just say, you know, tweet me, say hello, I'll say hello back, or have a little chat, whatever you want to do. Any feedback is always welcome at any of the channels I've just given you, and there's a been plenty just there. Next week's an interesting one, in terms of stories. It is The Different Ones, which is a Rod selling script, and will be basically where I close out the um, the session of stories where we talk about the, the friction between... Um, the executive producer Jack Laird and Rod Serling. Um, this time we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, um, Jack Laird's view of Serling's work. Um, just you know, I mean, I, I, I do criticize some of what Laird did quite a lot, um, but you know, he had a point of view in terms of why he changed stuff for Serling, and we do know some of those reasons. Although they did keep a very united front. Um, so in that sense we'll, we'll close it all out I'll point you out to the other stu- the other um, the other episodes where I, you know I've discussed this in the past so you can kind of piece it all together and um, and we'll talk about the different ones which is it's a story <laughs> we'll deal with it there's some great stuff coming up um, and you know the different ones is at their very least an interesting story with a with a story behind it as well so until then take care and i will speak to you soon goodbye